Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technologists in a historically tight market, and much more. Our guest today is Nick Durkin, field CTO of Harness.io, where he's responsible for the organization's worldwide field engineering team, post-sales engineering team, and a portion of product. Harness.io leverages artificial intelligence to streamline core DevOps processes, which gives him key insights into how automation is changing the nature of work for tech professionals everywhere. Let's listen in as we talk about all things AI, chat GPT, and developers. But yeah, I just wanted to chat about, I mean, last week we saw first, I now at this point, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bit forgetful of the order, but I think it was Google first with BARD, followed by Microsoft with the ChatGPT Bing integration um, in terms of their announcements. But obviously, ChatGPT and code, you know, writing bots and so on have been drifting around the ecosystem for a while. And so I just wanted to chat about how, you know, ChatGPT, chatbots, AI, and so on are all going to kind of impact how developers write code, how their workflow progresses and things like that going forward. Um, and I'm really interested in your take on it because, you know, as, as you've no doubt heard from developers, some folks are really scared of this future and they think that all low-level code and therefore, you know, the bulk of their jobs can be replaced by these things. And other people think that, you know, developers, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of kind of intuition and so on involved in the job as well. So they're not quite so frightened. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, what's your take on it? Because, I mean, you're obviously the CTO of Harness. Um, and so you kind of have that you know, to use a business cliche, that 35,000 foot view into how all this is going in terms of automation and everything else? I think it's a great question. <clears throat> I think it depends on the time frame. is to, to, to be honest, where the answer lands. I think right now, all the technologies that we're working with are professors, college professors or teachers. And so you can ask them a question, you can answer it. And I think right now, uh, they're not scientists and thank the Lord, meaning the, the AI, the chatbots, right? Because they're not testing their theories uh, and they're not testing them faster than humans can. And I think the viewpoint that we have, and it's, you know, I've started in this space quite a, quite a, quite a long time ago. I used to be known as the biggest guy in big data. And, and the reality came from, we've always kind of made jobs easier. We've always made them simpler. We've, all, we've always removed the worst part of the best people or, or the, you know, of our people's jobs. And I think as long as you follow in that trend, removing the worst part of jobs and automating the, the worst part of jobs, everybody's for it. It's when, and, and you're seeing for the first time, there's a risk that now we're automating the best part of someone's job. That's why people are afraid. And yeah. so, you know, even if you look at the way we've approached it specifically, so, you know, um, when we came out as a product, we announced it with artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, called continuous verification to remove the worst part of people's jobs. Don't babysit the deployments once you deploy them. Don't look at the metrics. Don't look at the log. Let AI and ML figure that out for you so you don't have to. Again, remove the worst part of a job. And I think that's the difference is where you're actually putting the focus on your AI is whether it scares people or not. Do you think, I mean, in terms of the code that's coming out, I, I personally have not, I am, I am an extraordinarily novice coder. I'm, I'm somebody who can basically put Flappy Bird 
a Flappy Bird clone together after you know a lot of kind of cursing and and stops and starts and so on. But I'm I am no I am I'm so far below the pinnacle of that particular programming universe. It's almost ridiculous. But I've been talking to a lot of developers, and some people think that in terms of you know as you said, I think that's a wonderful phrase. Like you know, kind of the best parts of the job. Um, some people think that there's that the code that's being produced right now. Um, by ChatGPT and so on is kind of boilerplate, obviously taken from sources and so on, and not very good. But then, I've people granted who have not really interacted with it all that much, but they're under the impression somehow that AI and automation now is getting really capable of writing good code um, and potentially even debugging it. I mean, where does it actually fall, though? I mean, is is are these systems now producing? good code or is it something where a person's going to have to go back anyway and double check and debug and make sure that this isn't like just kind of just a steaming pile? No, I think right now, and like I said, right now, because the professor, it's giving you an idea, it's giving you a theory mm-hmm. and you have to go test those theories. And so that's exactly what's happening is, and, I, and, I, and I've said this before, right? This is really going to make good engineers great. And it's going to make great engineers amazing, right? Oh. Um, this is the opportunity or, or incredible, make them incredible. Um, and it's because it now you can take your ability and where you have reached your capacity and that's when it can improve upon it. I want to look at it very simply. Like <clears throat> you can ask these things to go, you know, recreate in the style of Van Gogh, but Van Gogh had to be there and had to create first for it to be able to replicate it. And so there's these parts and pieces where there's always this constant creation. Now, the benefit that it has um, is that it can now go and do this across every engineer, not just the ones that I know. I don't have to go on a Slack channel and say, hey, has anyone done this before? And maybe get one response. I can do this globally and I can get responses instantaneously. This is neat in the tech industry. Where it's going to be interesting, and we don't have to do it necessarily in this podcast, is in the medical field. Hmm. Um, you know, Think about how long it takes a doctor to go and collaborate with people, you know, all the specialists around the globe. It could be hours. It could be days. That could be life or death. Yeah. That's an interesting one. And again, bring it back to developers, same concept, bring it back to engineers now leveraging the best in breed that's been leveraged across, you know, the entire globe, not just the small subset that, you know, and, and can, can get into. So in terms of freeing them up to, in terms of making them amazing, you it's, it's, doing everything you just said in terms of the code and so on, but then that ultimately it's, it's all about freeing up their time so they can get creative, they can get intuitive, they can do project management, they can think of, okay, like this is cool, but now we can make this cooler because, you know, it's, it's freeing up cycles, brain cycles. Well, yeah, we, I mean, look, we did an, <clears throat> we did a poll and I think it was 54, I don't know, it was 54% of engineers spent less than three hours a day writing code. Oh, that's interesting. I would have thought that's that would have ins- been more. That's insanely low. Yeah. It's actually, um, uh, it's over 80% are actually below four hours. Oh, wow. That's a stunning, so now, what are they doing the rest of the time? Well, that's it. So what are they doing? They're doing all of the, the you know, what we've done is we've expanded the, the role of the engineer, right? So now the full stack is like the laundry list of full stack is insane. Huh. And so, you know, it's interesting. I wouldn't pay my electrician to do my plumbing and I wouldn't pay my plumber to do my electrical. Do I believe they could? Absolutely. But I wouldn't do that. Right. And I think that's one of the things we've said, great, you know, take on more, take on more, take on more. But at the end of the day, what do they love? And so I think the way that we view it and we viewed it from day one at harness was remove the worst part of your best engineers jobs. So 
give them that time back by taking away babysitting deployment, by taking away sitting there waiting for tests to run, by taking away the the thought and understanding of having to turn on and off my non-production infrastructure to try to save costs. Remove all of the pain points and allow people to be focused on what they love doing. I think the intention here is to empower every team. So let security teams write the rules. Hey, here's how you can do it. Right? If you do all these things right, go for it. Right? Make it easy for them uh, to do the right thing. Make it hard for them to do the wrong thing. Allow infrastructure teams to find where things can be deployed. Allow DevOps teams to find how it gets there. What's those templates that people are going to use? And how do we? And then as an engineer, I should never see any of these platform pieces. I should never see that. I should only, my code should get built, get deployed, and I should only see the platform if something goes wrong. And I don't care if it's harness or not. I don't want to see the platform unless something goes wrong. And if something goes wrong, I want to be provided every piece of information that I need to solve the problem now. That makes, and so, that makes you know, you, you ask the time, it's like sitting there troubleshooting, you know, working through it. It's forget that. Do you think, I mean, machine learning and all of these tools, do you think it's going to, in terms of the iteration of all the tools and the tests and the automation and so on, do you think that we're at a kind of the beginning of a period of acceleration in terms of sophistication of all these things? Or do you think it's going to be more of a, despite all the hype, do you think it's going to be more kind of a gradual kind of growth or? Yeah, I mean, if you look at just human growth in our understanding and ability and technology and how long it's taken us to get here, and then you take the artificial intelligence tools that are being used today and you see their growth. Ours was hyperbolic as is. I mean, my mm-hmm. grandparents, you know, barely used a phone yeah. uh, when, they were, when they first were born, right? Let alone we're able to communicate with people like this. And now look at the growth we're seeing. So ours was hyperbolic as it, as it was already. Now, I mean, it's just insane. So the, the rate at which is happening is, is so fast. And I think that's what scares people is because the unknown is happening so quickly, they can't even find the patterns. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were reminiscing a little bit about how, you know, all, all these things like, you know, the 3.5 inch floppy, you know, and, and even the DVD and so on. And the idea that, you know, you're, you're yet you 16 megabytes RAM and so on, on, on your machine way back in the day. And now we're, yeah, we're so exponentially past that in the cloud and obviously in everything else, it's, it's completely ridiculous, but it's also, and, you know, I think this is what scares people when it comes to things like chat GPT is that it's it's hard to kind of tell the contours of the future and what it's going to look like. And we have the sense that things are going to evolve quickly and, you know, rapidly expand and so on. But, you know, people don't know what they look like. And when they don't know that, there's sort of this this climate of fear that that develops around it. But I mean, from what you're saying, I mean, it's exciting, you know, in terms of where all this automation and so on could go. And I find that I mean, that's personally, I find that really positive. I think that's great. No, I think, you know, look, um, this is one of the things we need more engineers. Like that's something that we actually can't find enough of. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and, and as a whole, right, this industry with the growth, like we're going to need what 25% more in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And if we can't find them, we have to automate. Right? That that's where automation comes from is if you can't get the resources to do it efficiently, then you automate. And so I think a lot of automation has been in place and, and we've been using a lot of machine learning and we're using a lot of AI for a long time. But again, we focused it on the areas that people wanted to get rid of the workload. Do you and, think? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no. no, no. I, was, I was just going to say. I mean, do you, to that then to that point, do you think automation and machine learning? So, do you think it's going to encourage more people to become software engineers? That some of the grind maybe gets eliminated, or there's more space, at least as they see it, for creativity, and therefore they it removes their potential reluctance again to the profession. Do you think that's not going to be a factor in whether people choose to become engineers? 
I think you're going to see probably a mixture of different types of engineers. And I think you're going to see more and more specialties. And this is where I was coming at. Instead of this full stack, you have to know everything. I think what you're going to find and, you know, whether it be more citizen developers, if you will, whether it's, you know, actually using um, some of the low code, no code automation and taking that creativity and giving it a place to go there. Or if it's really hard code, that's doing something brand new for the first time that again, you know, there's nothing to copy. There's nothing to replicate. Uh, there's nothing to grow from. I can't copy Van Gogh. Van Gogh hasn't created it. And so I think there's going to be some different areas where people can focus. To me, I see that as a positive because now you get to actually, you know, specialize in what you're phenomenal at. Um, and I think so th there are a lot that struggle and they're right in that middle and they don't know where to go. I think there's there's definitely options now to kind of head down different different directions. It's it's also, I mean, I could be completely off base with this, but when I look at job posting data, like just both from, from our own internal sources, but then also CompTIA, Bureau of Labor Statistics, et cetera, you have all these companies out there that when they're looking for developers and engineers and tech specialists, they are looking for, I mean, full stack pops up over and over and over again. And they want, you know, as is inevitable for job postings, which creates some noise in the data, but nonetheless, you see all these skills, you know, to your, you know, they want, they want the plumber, they want the engineer, they want every single possible thing combined um, to the point where it sort of begins to crowd out front end or back end or DevOps or machine learning, all these other potential developer specializations. And I'm wondering if, if these tools become mainstream and popular and so on, if we're going to see less to your point, if we're going to start seeing less of a demand for full stack and kind of a more of an emphasis on specialists that people that companies have this handled by the automation and therefore they just need the DevOps person or the machine learning person or whatever. I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, just, yeah. And I mean, let's that. look, let's look at the data. I mean, DevOps has been hanging around for quite some time and then DevSecOps and DevSecFin, you know, inserts up <laughs> every gamut of the list you can to insert in there. And what we've seen is that was when they had to bolt together a whole bunch of open source tools and, you know, write code to do it. And what's interesting now, and you see the rise of the platform engineer. Well, why is that? So again, this is just proof of what we're talking about. So now there's platforms that automate all of this. So you don't have to anymore. You don't have to write scripts. You don't have to babysit deployments. You don't do all these things, whether it's harness or not. There's now platforms out there that can handle this and take away the worst part of the job. So now where is that DevOps area going, right? So they're splitting off to their specialties or they're, they're going into platform engineering and they're going to handle the platform. And so again, it really allows us to go and specialize. Don't believe me, right? Like I'm just a talking head. Um, and I'd actually probably take that out as a quote. Um, but uh, the, the reality is, you know, you can look at this and the data, that's where people are headed. So they're looking at more specialized, they're looking at more focused areas where they can drive benefit to the business. People are realizing, why am I writing things that they can be automated? Why am I writing things that can easily be, you know, again, why would I waste my time sitting in front of a knock looking at, at metrics and understand what logs look like when a machine can do it better than I can, faster than I can with, with, with better accuracy. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. On, on the flip side of it, I'm also wondering too. Um, so there's been the rise of the, the no and the low code tools, which in turn has fueled this, this optimistic hope that every employee will become a quote unquote citizen developer and everyone's going to build, you know, simple mobile apps and everything. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I take these briefings with companies like Microsoft where they talk about how, you know, oh, our tools allowed every security guard at Heathrow to build a mobile app that increased their efficiency by 25% and whatnot. Um, do you think these tools that are coming online and this automation and these chatbots, 
do you think that's going to fuel that citizen developer movement at all? Or do you think this is more something that it's going to kind of people who are already developers are going to end up utilizing all this for their workflows? And it's the citizen developer thing is just over here somewhere and it's not really as touched by it. Oh, I think I think I'll go back to my make the the good engineers great and the great engineers amazing or incredible. Yeah. And I think if you look at what it's going to do is it's going to actually allow for the first time a lot of people to to get deeper and actually drive more business value without necessarily having the training or the years of experience writing code. Mm-hmm. Right? Their creative understanding of how to, you know, I almost want to say architect or de- we'll say design how this should operate. I think most humans can gather that. The hard skill was being able to turn that into executable code that ran, that was performant, that was secure, that was automated, all these things. And so that was the gap. And it required a massive you know, uh, set of engineers to do those very specific tasks. To answer your question specifically, if these are repeatable tasks and repeatable problems that, that, that people constantly have, yes, low code, no code tools will be great for them. Because again, we're following similar enough patterns. Um, you have a template basically that you can follow. And if it meets your template, great, use it. Where engineering and where that you know ultimate creativity comes from is those new problems, those challenges that we haven't run into yet or we haven't decided to tackle yet. Those are ones that today, again, how can I ask Copilot to help me if no one's ever written a line about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just envisioning, I mean, right now with those no and low code tools, like for example, a couple of years ago, Google showed me something they were working on where you know, it just, it was this abstraction layer with a drag and drop interface and, you know, you plunk all your modules in and then, hey, presto, you had a video game, like a very simple, you know, pixel back to 8-bit, but still it was, it was a functional thing. Um, and I guess the future that they're envisioning is that with these tools you type in and you ask, you know, hey, whatever, chat GPT or whatever its, it's descendant is going to be, I want a program that does X, Y, and Z. And then it goes out and potentially comes back with the code and executes and, and compiles and everything for you. Um, it would be a very powerful thing for it to be able to solve those new problems for somebody who doesn't have any sort of coding background to be able to go out and do exactly that and come back with something that is at least relatively functional, you know, if in desperate need of debugging. Um, I'm just wondering how likely that is in the near term, or if that's kind of a long term thing before we start to see that kind of new pro that sort of sophisticated, complex new problem thing be addressed kind of with these tools. Yeah, I think you're going to see two separate pieces being solved, uh, at least right now. So you see the one that you just described, which is I want to create, you know, something from nothing without a massive experience set. And then I think the second one is I have a massive experience set and I want to enhance it and I want it to do things that are difficult. So, for instance, um, I wrote this phenomenal code. Can you give me examples that would be better or or, or more highly available uh, that were more redundant? uh, that, that were more performant, uh, you know, so again, take that knowledge base of, of what I'm phenomenal at and go and expand it. And I think that's really what it's, what it's doing is it's lowering the bar for entry point, And then it's actually increasing everyone's ability. So it's really widening, um, across the board, everyone's benefit from early, early adoption all the way through to our genuinely our best and our brightest expanding it out even further than they already do. Hmm. Do you think there's any downsides? I mean, of course, there are downsides to any of this, but what would you say are the, the downsides to kind of what's what's evolving here? I mean, do you think, like, what what's the risk? Is it is it that you get buggy code? Is it something more existential? I mean, I, I think there's no risk 
right now as it's a professor. Okay. I think yeah. as it's as it's giving answers and as it's giving ideas and allowing us to take those ideas and do something with it and allowing us to be the scientists, allowing us to do the testing of those hypotheses, I think it's it's fine. There's no risk there. Hmm. When AI starts testing for itself and can do it faster than humans can, mm-hmm. at greater scale than humans can, um, with every possible variable that we can't even comprehend, then it becomes a little more interesting. But that's not where it's at. And if yeah. I was worried about losing my job as a farmer for the last 200 years, you know, farmers still exist and they have some of the best lives on the planet now. Um, and they're much more efficient. So, you know, there's always the possibility that farmers would have gone away as well. But the reality is, I think, again, if this is where people have passion, if this is where people have desire, they'll always find a way to to make sure that they coexist. I would imagine, I mean, there are people who do freak out about the possibility of long-term job loss due to these tools. Just like, you know, just like you said, I mean, technological evolution does inevitably come this cause these disruptions within employment and so on. But you would think something as supple as tech would also evolve. I mean, how tech jobs look today and how they'll look in 10 years is really different from how they looked 20 years ago. I mean, granted, you know, some of the same programming languages and paradigms and things like that, but I mean, they do, I mean, it just, maybe these tools evolve things into a completely different direction in terms of human employment. Maybe tech professionals are doing something different that we can't even picture potentially. I just, I don't know. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I mean, every, every historical uh, fact since we've, really started building mechanical muscle, right? So if you go back from when we had horses doing everything from, you know, fighting battles to building to transportation, I mean, literally the horse was our economy. You know, we've been been building mechanical muscle since the early 1900s, really. I mean, you go back late 18s. And all it's done is make lives easier. Maybe not for the horse. Um, Hasn't necessarily made it better for the horse. Um, but it made it better for humans. And I think that's where we take that opportunity and we thrive. It's also become a much more creative, uh, you know, worldwide, the creativity is through the roof. You had small amounts of platforms for people to be truly creative. You had small amount, small platforms for people to be seen, uh, to, to gain popularity. Now, I mean, anyone can do it. And so I think, you know, it is allowing us to tap into different parts of our brains, which ultimately are what drives some of the best societies. Yeah. Um, it's also, I mean, when you think about it, tech teams, have, I mean, it's not just like, you know, senior engineers and so on, you know, there's the project management component, there's this, the, you know, what they call soft skills, the communication, the empathy component and so on. And a lot of that is not something that you could see a, a chat bot or an automated tool it goes without saying mastering anytime soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you no, I getting... think soft skills are something that humans have. And as long as humans are part of the equation, it's going to have to be one of the necessary outcomes. If it wasn't, why would we have, you know, humans interacting with humans to sell software, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to help implement software. If it was as easy as, you know, just take this, this code, just take this documentation, we wouldn't have customer success teams. We wouldn't have sales teams. We wouldn't have any of that. And I think there is part of that is that that's inner human. Um, and we'll have to deal with that again at point in time. Sure. And that's why I said it's a time bound thing right now. It's not scary. Right now, it's a massive benefit that even in my own team, um, we had some really challenging customer uh, problems come up that weren't necessarily to do with Harness. In fact, they were to deal with like Nougat packages and, and, and weird sure. configurations that is not documented on Microsoft's website, oh. but no big deal. <laughs> we Somebody popped in Slack. Hey, have you tried chat GPT? No, I haven't. Okay, cool. Goes ahead, looks at it. 
says, this is an actually accurate answer. I tested it. It works. I can't find any of the documentation from it. It's nowhere. Right. And so we had to go, you know, finding where we could actually find the docs. But at the end of the day, we were able to solve a customer problem with which would have taken us, I don't know, 20 hours of testing and troubleshoot and recreating the environment and doing it in split second. So that's amazing. So you're already using this in the wild. We're already using this in the wild. Wow. Um, We'll probably have some fun announcements coming up about how it's even going to integrate into oh, cool. uh, our own tools itself. You know, specifically, you know, more more chat GT chat, chat GPT oriented. They need to work on the name. They need a yeah, they, they need a nickname because yeah. no one can say that. Uh, they need to give right. it a little. They need to give it a little polish. Yeah, that's it. That's have, it. have you been using it more frequently? I mean, like, have you found like since it since it, I mean, has your cadence and reliance on it increased? Reliance, no cadence, yes. Yeah. Um, I tend to only use it when I get stuck, mm-hmm. when I've reached that capacity. And I think that's where that benefit is, is wherever that capacity is that, that you no longer, it's outside of your knowledge base. Now that's when those, those questions come and get asked. Yeah. And, um, but I think, you know, it's commonly open and I'm also constantly waiting for the API to be available when it's sitting there waiting. Um, but yeah, I, I use it frequently uh, depending on whether it's business related, writing job descriptions, mm-hmm. um, troubleshooting problems that, you know, between multiple systems, heck writing integrators to take outputs of different forms. Uh, like that was one of the biggest pains that I always had to do is normalize data. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Oh, wow. Like there's a lot of things that can be done quickly that again, no one was like, Ooh, super proud. I wrote this amazing thing to go could transfer two types of data, pull it off of a mainframe and shove it into a, a dupe. Like no one cared. Yeah. No one was proud of that. Have you, I mean, are people chattering about BARD at all? Because, I mean, it seems like, I mean, ChatGPT is on everyone's mind and ChatGPT4 is coming up and everyone's excited about that. And then Google's like, oh, we also got this. Um, but I haven't heard any code or developer related chatter around it the same way I've been hearing about ChatGPT. I just, I, I, are you hearing anything? I mean, I'm not. And I think, so this is one of the interesting things is if you go play out how this AI, um, I don't know what you want to call it, race. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes. I mean, there, there's only a few ways it can actually go, and one of them is that in order to you know heed a lot of people's fears, is that we we actually protect against it. We 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 actually um, apply laws against it and, and make sure that we you know keep it quote unquote safe. The reality is, what happens is just what happened here with Google is that after they saw something come out, then they go, oh no, there's competition. I have to go with reckless abandon and get something out in the market now because if not, we're going to lose a hundred billion dollars. And instead, they got something out now and then lost $100 billion because it's yeah. not right. And I think the the reality is this is a big fear. And I think we should be more afraid, not of the, the well-thought-out, well-designed, well-architected um, AIs. I think it's more um, the ones that are being built to catch up, that they're skipping things, they're, they're, they're cutting corners. Those are the ones that get scary. Because it's not the, the intention. It's like... I'm not afraid of AI hurting me, right? Or coming after me. What I am afraid of is, and I can't remember where I heard this, but, you know, situations where I ask AI to go make my portfolio worth as much money as it can, you know, my, my, my stock portfolio. And what it does, it goes and does something interesting. Maybe it, you know, shorts retail stocks and invests in, you know, military stocks and then goes and tries to do, you know, bad information, start a war. I wasn't trying to hurt people. I was just trying to make my my portfolio bigger. Like yeah. That's the actual parts where 
if we don't do this appropriately, if we go with reckless abandon, you'll actually have problems. I mean, we've been working on RAI for six years. It's phenomenal. Um, and so, but again, it doesn't get the press because it's, it's actually doing something unique. It's doing something valuable to people, but it's not scaring people. Well, as opposed to being, you know, Gordon Gecko meets Skynet, which is probably the most single terrifying thing you can imagine when it comes to AI. Right. I mean, these, these are the, these are the things where humans can put those stops. And if we don't, if, again, if we don't do it appropriately, if we go with reckless abandon, if we try to catch up, if we go and do the Russian space race again, um, that's, that's my risk. I think that's where the risk is. Do you think overall that the tech industry as a whole, developers, you, et cetera, I mean, that you, that it's being approached in that careful and considerate and safe way? I mean, it seems like everyone recognizes the dangers here and also, you know, the potential for failure. And so you'd think that there would be an element of caution and so on. I'm just there's wondering. An, there's an element of caution when you're in first place. That's true. Yeah. There's not when you see your entire business evaporating. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the, if you're operating from a place of abundance, absolutely. If you're operating from a place of scarcity, this is nature. This is, you can go look at, you know, any mammal. That's the difference between whether you do it the right way or you act irrationally. Cool. And right now there's a lot of people that feel that they're operating uh, out of a place of scarcity. They're behind and that's, that's scary. Hopefully, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, it seems like there are positive developments. I mean, it seems, you know, in terms of your workflow, in terms of developer workflow as a whole, it, it seems like it's, it, there's a lot of positive signs. So hopefully that continues. But well, I, I guess Absolutely. we'll have to see. Yeah. No, so. I'm, I'm, I'm massively positive about it, right? Like this is, I said, you know, from, from the beginning when I started this, I would not work with a company that's not developing AI and machine learning to actually make people's lives better. Like that, yeah. I just won't, won't do it. Um, that's where I think there's a massive opportunity and, and that's where I spent my time, energy and effort. Excellent. Thank you so much. I think this was really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Nick, thank you. I genuinely appreciate it. I, you know, um, love the conversation. Would love an opportunity. If there's anything you ever like to chat about again, glad to you know take that opportunity to do that as well. Yeah. And I love the positive take on it. You know, I love the idea because I mean, there's so many developers I've been talking to who have been kind of losing their minds a little bit over this, but I mean, it seems like, you know, what, what, obviously what you're presenting is kind of like a rational view, which I mean, is obviously totally well thought out. I mean, this is, this is a net positive for a lot of people in a lot of cool ways. That's, it's really good to hear. I started writing a book about this 10 years ago. It was called, oh, really? what do we do with all the horses? That's and, a great title. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's, really uh, the problem is the, the ending was awful. Every, every possible ending was awful. Oh. Whether we legislate against it, whether we, and, and, you know, the length of time was the difference of whether it was awful. It was great for a very, very long period of time until it wasn't. And that's yeah. the interesting part. And I think people forget that we've been in that same pattern, like I said, with mechanical muscle for over a hundred years. And so, you know, it's not something that I'm immediately, you know, worried about and fleeing to, to an Island, you know, where, where I'm not gonna have to worry about those types of things. Like that's, that's, that's yeah. not my rationale. Well, I mean, maybe this time around it'll, it'll, you know, maybe, maybe legislators will be smart and they're, you know, I mean, there's granted, you know, there's some, there's, there's just some high, uh, some low likelihoods here, but you know, it could succeed. We'll see. I hope so. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And that's it folks. There's been a lot of chatter lately about how AI powered tools like chat GPT can potentially impact software developers and other tech professionals. Some of this chatter is really negative with developers fearing that chatbots will eventually take their jobs. 
So in light of that, it was fascinating to talk to Nick because he's so positive about the effects of automation on software developers, especially their workflows. As he said, technology like this has the potential to eliminate some of the worst parts of your job. As AI and chatbots become more sophisticated, it's also important to keep in mind that machines can't replicate human creativity and ingenuity. Even the best chatbot can't make the same intuitive leaps as an experienced engineer when confronted with a particularly difficult challenge. If you want to truly future-proof your career, focus on skills like management, problem-solving, and strategizing. That way, even if these AI tools gain the ability to execute on even more complex tasks, you'll still prove vital when it comes to completing projects and moving your organization forward. Plus, there's always an upside. AI might free up more hours for you to focus on what really matters to you. So with that, we'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career. 